0: How's everyone doing? Now, I've said this before from the pulpit, but I know that it's okay to say it again. What God's put on my heart this morning as a message is one of the best messages I'm ever going to preach. Now, I thought about not saying that because I thought, well, it can get a little bit stale to say that. But it's a brand new year. And if I did preach a crack of a message last year, and I reckon one of them out of the ones that I preach should have been okay. It's okay to say that this is a brand new season and whatever it is that God's built in our lives to this point needs to be added to. And so this is the add to sermon. Okay, this is, this is adding something to us. So I've, next week is Vision Sunday. And a few weeks ago, it might have been when, um, I don't know whether, when it was, someone was preaching, it wasn't me. But I sat down there, and all of a sudden, I just was aware of a few things that are going on in my life, and started thinking about some scriptures that might, and do, talk to me about ways to get past or through a particular thing I was thinking about at the time, and that was the embryonic start of this message this morning. And it's since then, because I've meditated on these few scriptures and put a lot of thought into and ask God to show me some ways that are practical to help each one of us this morning to get to Vision Sunday next week and get there well and get there with a level of anticipation and faith that we've not had before. And uh, one of the things that I felt really impressed upon me by the hand of God as I thought about this was the fact that talking about vision and dreams is one thing, But being able to see them clearly is another. So I started thinking about glasses. And the fact if I take my glasses off, um, you guys are all a little bit fuzzy. Um, My eye correction with glasses is age related. Um, Some people don't have this problem, but in my family bloodline we do as you get older. My opticians told me your lenses harden. And so the muscles that used to be able to get my eyes to focus on all sorts of things struggle because the lens itself is physically becoming stiffer and harder to move. So the correction to that is glasses. One of the weirdest things I've actually since then learned about that is, and it came to pass with my parents before they passed away, was you live with glasses like these for about 15 or 20 years, and then you can take them off again because something happens to your eye lens that means it goes back to being okay without glasses. So how bizarre is that? So I'm waiting for that to happen. You know? <laughs> it could happen sooner rather than 20 years at least, I reckon, yeah, not 20 or 30 years. Anyway, so many of us sitting here this morning looking back at me, you've got glasses on. You need glasses in order to see what you're looking at clearly. And it began to dawn on me that God's got a, a vision and a plan for our life and I can stand up here and talk about that and we can talk about what we're going to be doing as a church and what we see in the future. You could have and you could bring your dreams, personal dreams and visions along next week to be anointed and that's awesome to do that. I hope you, so I hope you do because God is so faithful in that. But even that I'd go, I wonder whether you need glasses. I wonder whether your vision's actually not as clear as it could be And whether what's actually real... So I take my glasses off. You guys don't do anything to change, but you become fuzzy. Glasses off, fuzzy. Glasses on, clear. Glasses off, fuzzy. Glasses on, clear. Reading, on my iPad right there, right now, even this close, that close. I used to be able to go sort of back about here and go... But now all it is, it looks like... um, Well, it looks like a foreign language. It's kind of, could almost be Thai or something, really. Um, But it's not as English. I put these back on, and presto, the words are there again. Glasses on, words. Glasses off, I'm not sure what. So I want you to watch this clip. Yeah, this clip. This ad contains over 15 mistakes. Looks like the old cubby house has just been turned into a magical princess dream castle. <coughs> God, what are you waiting for? Play! Nailed it. Who thinks those ads are funny? Yeah. Clever, right? But there's a serious side to that. By the way, those 15 mistakes, if you go on YouTube and find that, there's some people who spend a lot of time trying to find them and, and list them. So there are some funny ones in there. My point in showing that is this. That dad had a plan. That dad had the materials and the tools he needed to fulfil that plan. Let's just assume he had the right motives. He loves his kids. He obviously worked hard, spent time, he gave up other things, maybe a golf game, or a night down at the pub, or an afternoon out with some friends, socialised, I don't know what it might have been. He gave up other things, all to Mr. Mark, because he couldn't see clearly. And I'm wondering whether we, as Christians following Jesus, are spinning our wheels sometimes, doing a whole lot of hoo hawing and expenditure of time, money, and effort, but we actually are getting either nowhere or we haven't got the fruit we thought we'd get from that effort, mainly because we can't see. It's got nothing to do with attitude, nothing to do with us having a bad attitude, nothing to do with not expending money, nothing to do with us us being under-resourced or having the wrong motives. It's just we can't see clearly. And so I began to think and said, God, what's, uh, this is, so this is an analogy of something that goes way deeper than vision that's related to our eyes. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this, and this is stating the facts about this side of heaven. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I'm fully known have um, got to remember that when Paul wrote those words, they didn't have glass factories like we do with silver um, and other beautiful compounds that were adhered to a perfectly flat piece of glass to give you a reflection. When I look in the mirror in my bathroom, I see me. Pretty accurately portrayed as a reflection, but it's pretty clear. got to remember, that he's talking about when you looked into a piece of polished, beat-up brass and you saw you know, a, a big divot in the side of your face because that was the divot in the, in the, um, the bronze, whatever it was. You look. It's like they were polished metal. It wasn't a glass mirror. So he's really using that analogy, and we've got to stop and think, hang hey, not, on, it's not that kind of mirror that we've got. It's a mirror that's a little less optically pure than we're used to, and he, you don't see yourself properly, and that's exactly our problem. So my question is this. What's blurring our vision What's blurring your vision? What's blurring my vision for the future? So we ignore or put up with impaired vision at our peril. I currently don't have to wear glasses driving. Even though you're fuzzy, I could still miss you on the road. Just saying. But the day, I'm sure, will come where the optician says, "Uh, you're now a danger to the other road users without them, so you must have glasses on. And I'm wondering whether some of us need to have... The other glasses that I'm talking about this morning I'll get to what they are looked at and who looks at them. See, I, I can't just go down to my brand- new garden shed, break out the hammer and a few tools and electric drill bits, and make a pair of glasses to fix my eyes up. I've actually got to go to a person who's a specialist. They've actually spent a lot of time being trained about how eyes physically work to create an image on the retina at the back of my eye. But even that process, going to an optician, who likes it, who's been to an optician if you have, when they say this is gonna sting a little bit and they puff this thing in your eye, it's like, oh, that's weird. It's like, oh that's not very comfortable. No, but it's the roadway to glasses. Who likes having that light? This this is gonna be pretty bright. Just look in here, it's like and you're seeing this bright light like the sun for the next 10 minutes, it's like, that wasn't very pleasant, but it's the roadway to glasses so that I can now see clearly. Somebody who knows what they're doing fixed by giving me something to correct my faulty vision to make it clear again. If there's things that are connected that this, is, this message is about connection. I'll just give you another example just to kind of pack out what I'm trying to say this morning. Jesus said these words in Matthew 22:39, love your neighbour as yourself. What's that got to do with vision? Probably not a lot, but the example is about connecting things together. See, oftentimes, we'd like to think that we're loving people and we're loving two people. But I want to say to you that you can't get around what the word says about loving other people, and that is to love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus himself is telling me there is a limiter in my life around my love for you. And the limiter and the always limiting factor is my love for me. I had a young person who used to be in our church a long time ago get extremely indignant when I preached a message around this once years and years and years and years ago. They could not get their head around the fact that they had to love themselves sad thing is that if you don't love yourself heaps the love that you or I present to other people is always going to be stained. It's always going to be tainted. It's always going to have the potential to be not what it's supposed to be. So I've got to learn to love myself. I don't mean big note myself. I don't mean, think, hey man, check this dud out. I'll use that word deliberately. I should have said dude, but dud anyway. (laughs) Like, might have been stud. It just got lost in translation. (laughs) Now you know I'm kidding, right? Very loving, loving. yes. Love your neighbour as yourself. So loving someone is directly impacted by how much we love ourselves. No matter how hard I try to love other people, it'll always be stained by my level of love, self-love, Or sadly self-loathing. You notice that, oh I've noticed over life that some people are the most critical of others in an arena where they hate themselves. They actually have got an area of shame or brokenness in their life. And they are ruthlessly brutal with people who've got the same issue. They're connected. Why am I ringing that up? Because I want to say to you that the vision that God has for your life, the dream that God has for your life, is directly connected to your ability to see it. It's limited by our ability to see it. And so what stuffs up our ability to see a vision? And this is, I'll get to the point of what I felt God put in my heart. This statement you can take if taking notes this morning and write this down. This is a little little gem. Seeing our future is limited by how well we see. Round of applause for that. That, that. That's That's only only the comma. The rest of the sentence is this: not what is possible or planned by God for us. So let me read the whole sentence. Seeing our future is limited by how well we see, not what is possible or planned for us by God. So if God's got a, a magnificent plan for your life, let me just tell you, He has. If God's got a call on your life to do something extraordinary for Him, and He has, that is going to be severely interrupted, not because He hasn't got the ability Or the willingness to show it to you. You're showing yourselves to me. I just can't see you clearly. The problem is not you with my glasses off. It's me. When it comes to vision, the problem is not God. The problem is not his willingness to let us see it. It's our ability that we can see it. We've got problems seeing what God has for us. So I pondered, what shuts me down from seeing a future? What shuts me down from being optimistic? What shuts me down from being filled with enthusiasm? What shuts me down from having high levels of commitment and energy to get there? And I felt the Holy Spirit direct me to a couple of verses in Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is God. He leads me beside still waters. This is God. He restores my soul. That's God. And He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So if you're taking notes, there's four beautiful word pictures right here in these two verses of the 23rd Psalm. There's a whole bunch of other stuff in the 23rd Psalm, we're not going to look at that this morning. I want to really drill down into one in particular, which we'll get down to in a moment, but I want to just talk about the first couple that are there. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. The first verse I didn't read, but it's, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need or I lack nothing. So the word picture that David's writing in this psalm is one to do with shepherding sheep and fairly agricultural in that sense of the word, which is why this word picture, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What is that meant to convey to a 21st century Australian living in the Adelaide Hills here on this Sunday morning? So I want to put a few other words into the mix for you. And one in particular. I, I think that what he's talking about is contentment. So if you're not content in some arena of your life this morning, I guarantee you cannot see your vision clearly. There's something amiss with your spiritual eyes if contentment is low. The good news is God makes us lie down. In other words, he causes a context where you and I can be content. Now, you can have an argument with God about that. If I had more money, I'd be content. If I lived in a bigger house, I'd be content. If I had a better job, if I was married, if I had kids, if I had this or I had that, I'd be content. Well, it doesn't say anything about the what ifs and maybes. The Bible just says, he makes me lie down in green, in green pastures. In other words, there is, there must be, because the Bible says there is, a place where you can be content. Right now. Today not when that happens and when this happens and if only that happened if this person said that and didn't do this if only that didn't happen no 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 none of that makes any difference god because the word says it is he's placed you in green plant pastures he's got a place of contentment that you can experience this morning yeah. how cool is that yeah. you say well i'm going to have an argument about that we'll have an argument all you like i'm just the messenger I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I'm going to go, okay, God, I want to see them because I can't see them. Let's move on because what's the problem for me seeing it is coming a little further down. He leads me beside still waters. Oh, yeah, he takes us to a place of peace and tranquility. Contentment's one thing, but peace of mind. Being peaceful and peaceable and at peace is related to contentment, but they're not the same thing. John 14, 27. We can just crank that up for a moment. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. This is Jesus talking. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What he means by I don't give it to you as the world gives. He doesn't give it conditionally. He doesn't issue it out according to merit. He doesn't issue it out according to um, the conquest, conquests and the victories of war. He's had the war and he's won it. He just gives peace yeah. when I don't deserve it. He leads me beside still waters as compared to the raging torrents of a mountain stream. You know, you've been up in a mountain and it's been pouring with rain, and you can hear the, the water rushing. <clears> or <throat> well, you stand alongside a, an overflowing reservoir and the massive racket that that moving water makes as compared to a really tranquil, still, dead still pond. I was Looking at some pictures of our trip to Israel yesterday and we went for a sail on Lake Galilee uh, on one of those days of that trip. And the day we went out on, on the Sea of Galilee was one of those days that the disciples, I reckon, would have set out on a fishing trip. It was like a mill pond. And I sat there as we launched out from the little jetty and headed off in this boat on literally glass. It felt like, looked like glass. It was absolutely smooth. I was mindful of some of those scriptures where the disciples launched out into water like that and then a wind blew up and things changed significantly. Anyway, my point in bringing this to your attention is that that's peace, that sense of calm. You know that, that place that if you're a camper, you've gone camping and parked next to a billabong or parked next to uh, perhaps the River Murray, which is not a fast-flowing stream. It's quiet water. It's just still. It's peaceful. It's peaceful. Does that describe you on the inside this morning? So contentment's one thing, but I mean, peaceful. And again, I can have this conversation with God, well, I'd be at peace if that didn't happen, or I'd be at peace if this didn't happen, or God's saying, no, 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 Bruce, you're not listening. You're not actually hearing or reading or believing what my word says. He leads me beside the still waters doesn't say he will, or he might, or he could. It says he does. That means, again, not only can I find a place of contentment, I can find space in my life where the peace of God is just there. Now, it might be, for you, many of you here, might be when you get your Bible out and spend a bit of devotional time with God by yourself. There's just this peace place. Some of you that have got kids that are young, Finding a peace-filled place is a nightmare. It might be on the ceramic throne. No, what is it called? The, yeah, um, the toilet. Sad if it is, but stranger things have happened. I'm just wondering, where is your peace place? Because I want to say to you, you've got one. Oh, no, I haven't. No, no, the Bible says you've got one. Why have an argument with the word? It doesn't mean you're not allowed to. You can argue with the word of God all your life. The only problem is you'll never win. He's always got the last word, and his word never fails to deliver what he says it will. And so when he says, he leads me beside still waters, I can tell you, if you're looking for it, you'll find your place of peace. Third step. So these four things are integral to seeing the vision that God's put in your heart, the dream for your life. Without these things in place, it's my conviction from what I felt, the Holy Spirit just laid this into me over the last couple of weeks. I'm not going to see the vision that God has for me clearly if I'm discontent and if I'm lacking peace. And thirdly, if my soul is damaged. Now, what is my soul? They could have a long conversation about this. There's all sorts of people who've got all sorts of ideas about soul. But let's just put it into the context of the nexus of my feelings, my motives, my sense of well-being, my sense of everything, even contentment, which is why I mentioned these ones first. Contentment and peace are going to elude me if my soul is damaged. And my soul needs to be repaired. Now, this is where I started this journey, this, that, that verse. Because I was thinking about my own life and some of my own feelings over the last little while. and I began to think, oh, I actually think my soul's a little bit beat up. Just not thinking always the best thoughts, not always looking forward to... The things that are in front of me came very, I think, towards the end of last year. I could could say to you honestly, I was 2019, I could take it or leave it. I don't mean I was thinking anything crazy like ending my life or anything. I'm not anywhere near that. I'm not saying that. But it's kind of like, I'm supposed to be enthusiastic. I'm supposed to be, let's go for it. I'm supposed to be. And that's the problem. Supposed to be won't cut it. I've got to be. Genuinely. I said, God, I can't do this. I can't. And again, I wasn't thinking of quitting. Don't hear me wrong. But on the inside of my inside, I just totally being transparent with you. I was kind of like, this isn't working for me. What am I going to do? Perhaps I need to go and see a psychologist. Perhaps I need to go and have some counselling. Perhaps I need to go and talk to somebody. Now, Julie and I talk all the time. Um, and that's all healthy and good. But that still didn't and wasn't attending to something in here. Because it doesn't say that my wife and my friends restore my soul. They do. They're a big part of that picture because God's in them. So I'm not discounting that they can't be part of the mix, but they are not the be all and end all of the story. The Bible says, He, God, restores my soul. And I had a revelation. It's always a good thing when you're reading the word of God, get a revelation. Say, Revelation. Uh, you know, just read and go, oh, that's interesting. Get a revelation. <laughs> he restores my soul. So that I thought that, that was the revelation. Um, I'll explain. I could, from that scripture, go, okay, I'm going to change my prayer life. I'm going to say, God, in Jesus' name, heal my soul. Who thinks that's a good prayer? This is not a trick question, but it is a trick question. That's a crummy prayer. Because it's not in line with this. It doesn't say, if you ask, he will. It says he will. So I've got to pray. There's nothing wrong with asking for things in Jesus' name in prayer when it's not clear what's going to happen. But when the Bible's made a definitive statement about something, don't you ask for what God's already given you. So I found myself flipping from an asking prayer to a prophetic prayer, to a prophesying prayer, because he's already said it, it's an already done deal, it already says to me he's restoring my soul. So I decided I'm going to start talking to my soul. I don't know how deaf my soul is, or how damaged my soul is, or impervious to loud shouting, but your soul has got ears. And it listens to you. It's your soul. It knows your voice. Mine knows my voice and mine started listening. He restores my soul. He, God, restores my soul. Soul, you're being restored. Right now, every damage, everything that's been thrown at you over the last umpteen years, every smack in the side of your soul that you got in the schoolyard as a kid, Every moment of, of torture from people physically or emotionally or verbally abusing you, having a crack at you, whatever the deal is, if your soul's been beat up, the road to recovery is a prayer He restores my soul. That's good news. That's such a good news story. That message, that that little bit of information there will transform any life. I guarantee it, if we actually go, I get that. You're talking in language and ideas that help me, Pastor Bruce, and I hope I am. He restores my soul. He restores your soul. He restores your soul. It's not, oh, but what do I have to do anything? No, no, the Bible doesn't say anything about you doing or being, it just tells you he restores my soul who's excited about that they're all sitting there like yep okay it's like yes he restores my soul I came to church this morning enthusiastic not because I was supposed to be I came to church this morning pumped up about Vision Sunday next week because it's Vision Sunday next week not because I have to be I am how come because he's already working his miracle working power in my life he's restoring my soul you might be thinking, well, I'm a bit of a mess in that arena, Pastor Bruce. i got good news for you. Just start talking to your soul. Just start telling it. Get your act together and listen up, sunshine. You've been restored. How does it happen? Read your Bible. Yes. Pray. Yes. Go to church. Yes. Have conversations with your spouse. If you're married, have conversation with good Christian friends that are mature. Yes. God speaks through all those things. He restores our soul. But the bottom line is it's Him. Say, it's God God who restores my soul. soul. It is God God who restores my soul. soul. come on. Someone's getting this. And when my soul is intact, I don't need these anymore. Now, I don't mean literally. But I'm not actually looking through defective soul eyes anymore. I'm not looking at the future and seeing things that are either not there or not seeing things that are there because my vision's impaired by damage to the retina of my soul. It's been healed. I'm actually hearing from God. I'm actually seeing the future from God. So Parkside, C3 Parkside is a location we're going to start in 2019. That's this year. It's like, there's a part of me that when that first started kind of appearing on the horizon, it was like, oh no. What? No, no, we, we church planted twenty-three years ago. It's like no what I could see and how I felt were all tied up in damage. The less damaged I are I am, good English. <laughs> the less damaged I am in the soul area, the more clarity. I have about my future. That's why He restores my soul. He wants me to see. He wants me to breathe. He wants me to be content. He wants me to be finding my peace place. He wants me to understand that He restores my soul. He restores my soul when I'm asleep. He restores my soul when I'm awake. He restores my soul when I'm having a coffee with you after church this morning. He restores my soul when I went for a bike ride with my wife yesterday for the first time in 10 months. So it restores my soul. Don't doubt that. Don't have an argument with the word. Just go, my soul's been restored. God's restoring my soul. I am wonderfully well and blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Someone taught me that years ago at a men's conference. I can rattle that off trying to be that, or I can attend to my soul and genuinely say it. They go hand in hand. The more I say it, the more likely my soul is going to be restored. The words that we use create the spaces we live in. Let me say it again. The words we use create the spaces we live in. That's why I have lots of conversations with myself and often with you guys about complaining. Complaining creates a cafeteria of complaint. Smorgasbord. You can go along the cafeteria of complaint and find every serving possible. They're just is endless. It's like, there's more, there's more, there's more, ah, there's more. <laughs> That's it. And then the final point this morning is this. The fourth thing in this message. He leads me in paths of Righteousness. For his namesake. Now he's putting his name on the line here with me. He's putting his name on the line with you. And so it's like, okay, God, that's pretty serious. So what people think about you is connected to what people think about me. Let me say it again: what people think about God is connected to what people think about you. Hmm. That'll, that'll mess with you for a few weeks. He doesn't have any other way of representing himself amongst those who don't believe than you and me. And so these four things together are the key to us being who we're supposed to be so that what they see is him. Contentment, peace, peace, A soul that's intact. In other words, emotionally resilient. Emotionally stable. Opinions balanced. Open to new ideas. Open to correction. Open to being flexible. I was listening to a leadership um, TED talk during the week and one of the presenters said that (coughs) People over 45 become increasingly difficult to impart new ideas to. I thought, really, I'm way past that. But I'm wondering whether that's true or not, and whether there is a reason beside the point. My question to you is: Are you open to new ideas? Does the restoring of your soul, if you're over 45 here this morning, involve God having to bust through? your 45-year-old-plus resistance to change. He wants your soul restored, but no, don't want to do that. Don't want to do anything new. Let let the other people do it. I've had my go. Whatever the deal might be. It's like, no, I, I want to remain supple. I want to remain usable. I want to be remaining restored. So let me finish this. I digress a fraction. He leads me in paths of righteousness. What does that mean? Well, I think those three previous things, contentment, peace, a restored soul, means he can point me to making good decisions. I can be confident in the light of these scriptures that the decisions I make about anything, I mean anything in my life, I should be confident that my choices and my decisions are going to be good ones. I don't mean good as in goody two shoes. I mean the right ones. The right one for me, the right one for my family, the right one for my church family, the right one for the kingdom of God to advance. I'm going to make right decisions. Psalm 37, verse 23 says this The Lord makes firm the steps of one who delights in Him. Different version says the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. Let me say that again, the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. In other words, the journey that you or I are walking on, God desires for it to be ordered according to his will and purpose. And that means to me, I'm walking on the vision. I'm walking in the vision. I'm walking toward the dream. I got nothing in front of me that I can't see clearly. So I can see C3 Parkside. Not through a lens of, oh, my gosh, or, oh, whatever, or, lucky Simon and Georgia, or, I've had all these thoughts. I'm actually really stoked about it, genuinely. I'm really excited that there's a young couple in our church who are prepared to say, we'll have a go at that. Not just that they have a go, they feel that God's put it on their hearts to do it. I'm really excited about that. I'm not going to stand in front of you and say, oh, this is awesome, fantastic, let's go, rah, rah, rah. As a pep talk. I'm going to do that to you in front of you because I believe it. I believe God's got something for us. I've got a, a, this incredible sense that God's goodness is going to f- flow into and through this congregation here in Harndorf and it's going to overflow into Parkside in the first instance and to other places beyond that. It's like the work involved in doing that is not work if I actually learn to lie down in green pastures. If I learn to let God lead me beside still waters, if I continue to ask him, no, tell him, tell myself, no, if I continue to let God restore my soul and then help me to make great choices, we are going to make it. Let's stand to our feet. Did I not say that was going to be a great message? I hope something's been said in the last 30 minutes or so that has actually put a block, a building block in your life. There you go. That is incredible. I'm going to be starting to work on one of those four things. But let me just give you a heads up. I honestly think the key to that scripture is the restoration of your soul. So let me pray for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your presence with us. I pray for every one of the beautiful friends people I know and don't know in our meeting this morning Lord I look out across this room I see people like me with a soul that in varying senses of the word has been beat up damaged knocked around just through life some of us more than others and just like going to the optician have an expert who knows how to fix eyes correct my lenses I pray Lord that you by your spirit who is the specialist would come in and begin to heal my soul Lord you might have to puff some strange breath onto my soul that might sting oh ooh, that doesn't feel so good you might shine a bright light in there that's definitely not good you might cause me to sit in a place that actually is a place of contentment but it doesn't feel right just at the moment help me to stay put so Holy Spirit touch every life today, that we would prosper even as our soul prospers, as it says in 3 John 1 verse 2. might just get the guys to put that scripture up, so when you open your eyes, you can read that. Lord, we just, we open our eyes right now, Lord, and read your word that's in front of us on the screen. Why don't we say this together? Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well.